Let's take a little time to reveal The prehistoric stories that the earth once concealed Mix them all together on this ancient land It's time to spread some paleo jam Hello, welcome to this edition of Paleo Jam. My name is Malcolm Mills. I am the host and I'm several metres underground in the Stick Tomato Cave at Narrow Court. And I'm with um, Nicola Bale. Hi, Nicola. Hi. Um, I'm with Narita Turner. Hi. And I'm with Georgia Blows. Hello, nice to meet everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Be here, stuck together. It's almost like we're, we were talking just before we started recording. It's almost like sitting... Um, underground like a little campfire oh it definitely yeah, is yeah. isn't it is but 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 we we all have a connection to caves and what I wanted to talk about today and we're here because National Science Week have said yes can you go around places Michael and talk to people and wanted to come down to Narracourt because it's such a, an important part of my um I guess engagement with communities and and from where my character Professor Flint mm. was kind of partly born from the, the creatures here but I want to talk to each of you about your connection to the caves and how it relates to your careers mm-hmm. um, so maybe Nicola so you study caves as existing ecosystems you're not a paleontologist no I'm not a paleontologist so I'm an ecologist or zoologist and I study the bats that live in caves uh, at the moment it's southern bentwing bats I also do a bit of work with other bats, but uh, my connection with caves was pretty much started once I started studying the species and I visited Narracourt for the first time and realised that everyone here knows what a diprotodon is and everyone here (laughs) loves bats. And yeah, I was like, oh, awesome. I get to work here for the next couple of years on and off. So it's been great. So was it it bats or caves that came first? It was bats that came first for me. So I started doing a bit of wildlife rescue a few years ago when I was... Uh, living in Melbourne, started working with bats then and really fell in love with bats just because I saw how much people didn't like them and I saw, you know, how amazing they are and, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that about 20% of our mammals are bats and people can't tell you anything 20%. about them. 20%? Mm-hmm. Yep. And in some countries, about a quarter of their mammal species are the after rodents, I think the most widespread or abundant group of mammals. They're on every continent but Antarctica. But all people can really say about them is that they're spooky and they carry disease and yeah, so I was and like, I'd like mammals to that. that fly. I swear. So in Adelaide, we get the flying foxes yep. in the Adelaide Botanic Garden, and you see them at twilight, and they go out searching for food. Yep. And I swear, the birds are sitting in the trees, going, "What? Yeah, <laughs> what mammal? What?" <laughs> <laughs> And that's essentially You're not supposed to be able to do that. <laughs> and that's, that's why they're so successful as well, because there's nothing else flying around at night. There's nothing really like eating our nocturnal insects apart from bats. Like that's what most bats eat. And, you know, they're just doing things that no one else is doing at night. So overseas and in the tropics mm-hmm. sort of you'll get some flowers that will only sort of bloom at night because they only want bats to come and pollinate them and they'll sort of evolve along with bats so bats get longer noses and the flowers get sort of longer and they just really complement each other. So they've really... They've been here for a very long time and they've just evolved to do all these crazy different things along with nature. So 
And they're very, very cool. Yeah, they are. They're very cool. Yeah. All right, okay. So, Narita, you're the paleontologist in the group. And, yeah. and obviously, Narracourt Cave's uh, World Heritage Site is known for the paleontological site uh, of the caves. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's your um, story that brought you here in the sense of what, what's, what, what does your research involve? Yeah, so I'm studying the Pleistocene large animal fossils of the Narracourt Caves. And I'm specifically interested in the different ways that those large animals accumulated in the caves. So that means how they how they got here. Yeah. How they got here because because you go to somewhere like Victoria Cave and there's fossils everywhere mm-hmm. and there's bones everywhere. So how how do they get from from up above like we've we've got this big pile of dirt and rocks above our heads. How did they get from up there into into the cave? So that's that's yes. the nature of the research. Yeah, yeah, and it's really important for us to understand those processes because they can end up biasing the fossil records that we look at and then that can have a whole lot of like flow on effects for our interpretations about um, prehistoric environments. Because of course different animals or different kinds of animals bring things in in different ways don't they? Yeah yeah so uh, bats are really important for the the fossil story uh so that's two for team bat <laughs> <laughs> there are certain there are certain species of bats so ghost bats um have the capacity to accumulate small animal bones in caves uh owls and birds of prey um also accumulate small things uh so i'm not super focused on those um but there are large mammal carnivores as well that can bring large animals into caves so things like tasmanian devils um could have done that yeah and and working out the difference between the different kinds of things that do that yeah and 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 also understanding and coming back to to you nicola that the caves they're fossil deposits but they're also living ecosystems Mm, yeah Mm -hmm. and um georgia your your job um is to bring people into the caves like you brought us in here Mm Hopefully take us back out again at the end. Yeah, that, that's the plan. <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> but I do hear there's bats in here. <laughs> ah, so we're, we're going to stay here for yeah. quite some time. And bones. Okay, so, so you work at the Narracourt Caves. I do, yes. Um, how, did, how did you come to, to be... So, so you're a... What, what do we... What's your... So you're, you're an interpretive officer. Yeah, so I um, am a site interpreter, and part of that is to bring the amazing research uh, that Verita and Nicola... Are doing um, and deliver it to the public in a really fun um, enjoyable way for them to understand about what is happening here at Narracourt. Because it is isn't it and, and it's, I suppose it's partly some of the, similar to what I do as Prof Flint where you you rely on the research you don't get to do the stuff without the, res- the amazing research that the paleontologists and other researchers, that sounds bad, doesn't it? Paleontologists and, and the others. <laughs> There's the paleontologists and all the other researching people. Um, but we, we don't get to do... I mean, you could still do a, a, a guided tour, but it wouldn't have that content that it has because of the information that we get from these folk. Mm. No, we definitely um, rely heavily on the research that's happening here at Narracourt and what Narita and Liz and um, Nicola are doing. And um, it's, you know, telling the story about what's happening here um, at Narracourt for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. And so we're, we're all from places other than Narracourt. 
but you, um, Georgia, are from here. Yeah, so you so went to primary school uh, here, you yeah. went to high school here. We were talking before we started about maybe you might have seen me as Professor Flint yeah, when you were a very totally. small person. Yeah, well, um, being from Narracourt, a big part of growing up um, in this town is the Narracourt Caves. Um, so there's a lot of surrounding, you know, education at school. There was a lot of focus on the fossils, um, Narracourt, you know, seeing Professor Flint perform um, with his amazing songs. Um, and it sort of shaped um, where I wanted to take my future career. And obviously I've ended up here. Yeah. So, and you I understand you, you, when it came to, to doing work experience, mm -hmm. the, the caves are where you did your work yes, experience? Yes, yep. So you've, you've, you've grown up under the wing of Professor Flint. <laughs> <laughs> um, the wing membrane. <laughs> the wing membrane. There's always a bat reference. Yeah. There's always, um, so you've, you've done that. Um, you, and, and, and of all the things you could have done as work experience, there's, there's something, but it doesn't always resonate with people, does it? Like the, the things that resonate with us, and I suppose it's, it's something for all of us to talk about. What is it for you that resonated that you've gone, I want my work experience in the caves. And then having done that work experience, that's where I want to work. Cause, cause you're not, mm. you're not doing a PhD like these, you're not, you're not doing the research. So it's a different pathway, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah. So, um, why I wanted to work at the caves, it was, uh, the connection to the public. Um, so being able to take, um, you know, all this amazing research and education, um, and give, give it to them um, in a really enjoyable package and you can just see when they can connect with you. Um, they can see, uh, you know, see them understanding and they start to get the story of, you know, Narracourt, um, you know, understand um, what was happening here up above the ground for thousands of years. That was a big part of why I wanted to work here as well. Uh, you know, have, you have all these amazing animals um, that are no longer with us, like, you know, Thylacoleo and Diprotodon. How these animals, they were alive, they were walking around on the surface um, in your own backyard, not very long ago at all when you think about it. And that's, that's part of the coolness of mm -hmm. here. And we, we talked with some kids at the primary school yesterday about that very thing of, of I'm often in Adelaide talking about diprotodons mm -hmm. and things and saying, oh, well, they, would have, they migrated, they would have walked through here. But in Narracourt, we this is where we find, find the stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a very... There's, there's something very special about the proximity of the fossils mm -hmm. and, and the bats. <laughs> yeah, oh no, I, uh, like I learned about diprotodon and other megafauna in my undergrad and then sort of got really interested in them. Like I have a shirt at home that says bring back megafauna and then on the back mm -hmm. it says I miss my big friends. <laughs> um, but I had that before I started coming here. So I mean the first time I came here I was like, oh, they've got this massive diprotodon out the front. There's all of these fossils, like all of these megafauna and like such a rich history and there's an amazing colony of bats as mm -hmm. well. So I felt that, that's very special to me as well, but I'm definitely not the most knowledgeable on paleontology. Yeah. But it's not only a connection to the past, it's also a connection to what's happening now um, with the animals around Narracourt and what could possibly happen in the future as well. Yeah. Um, so looking at the past fossil record, you know, what we used to find here at Narracourt um, and comparing it to what we find now. So the past paleodiversity versus, um, you know, what's happening now. <laughs> so, Narita, what was it for you? Like, how, did, how, did, how did you come to be down here in a cave mm. with us? 
talking <laughs> about your your work, mm. your your research. What what was it that that the light bulb was? It, was there a particular moment that you um, remember, or was it a, an rem- accumulation? Yeah. See what I did. It was an accumulation of knowledge. <laughs> There's no off switch here. <laughs> I um, I rem- like all my life. I think I've wanted to be a paleontologist. That's sort of always been a dream of mine you were the dinosaur kid I was the dinosaur kid still am Uh, but I I moved to Adelaide um, to do my undergrad at the time there was a major in paleontology offered and I came to the case for the first time in third year Mm -hmm. of uni and started I guess the research even then doing projects um, on it then and there was just a really natural progression from then on into honours and then PhD. So, so when you came here for the first time, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting this. this so, so you, you, you've got the degree to come here, the, the to in paleo. So that's an easy choice for the dinosaur kid. But once, once you walk into the caves for the first time, mm. like when you walk into Victoria Cave for the first time and you see the fossil beds there, what's mm. what's that like? It's pretty mind-blowing uh it's not really something i'd seen before anywhere else Uh, i really liked the the applications of quaternary paleontology as well i thought that kind of separated it from uh older paleontology like older Mm. time periods and i've always been passionate about conservation and things like that and i really liked the ability to use the the knowledge from the fossil record to, to better inform things like conservation. Mm-hmm. So back onto bats, yes. what what do we learn from a place like the caves? So <laughs> in terms of that conservation and in terms of of um, vulnerability of bat species we learn a lot at a lot of different scales so broadly we learn a lot about extinctions past mass extinction events from fossil records and you know there's a lot of evidence that we're in a mass extinction at the moment and then in terms of bats so here at the caves we've learned that Narracourt caves is a very special site for southern bentwing bats um, and these guys mammal were, of the year yeah. last year <laughs> 2022 mammal of the year the inaugural mammal of the year um so nothing we, will ever take that away yeah. the so inaugural. exactly yeah. um and there is fossil evidence of bats in these caves from 500,000 years ago but we know with the southern beltwing bat the past 200 years are the years that have led them mm. to become critically endangered mm-hmm. and they've declined significantly um you know We can see from the fossil record that that has not been the case for a long time. We can see from sort of historic records of what the population used to be like here, that it wasn't the same. Um, But one sort of continued theme is that Bat Cave, which is the maternity site for southern beltwing bats uh, within Narracourt Caves National Park, is an extremely important cave. It's one of the only two places in the world that southern beltwing bats will reproduce. Um, It hosts the largest population of them there, and that's because of the cave properties itself. So the cave's a really warm and humid one and you sort of walk in and you just get hit with this wall. Um, And that's also aided by the bats because bats have ridiculously high energy requirements. So when they're flying around the cave, they're generating a lot of heat and that gets trapped in the ceiling. And this is all sort of a cooperative effort of all the different groups. So even the males and non-breeding members will come back and fly around. 
And we think that's to probably heat up the cave a bit because um, when the pups are born, mums actually leave them on the roof of the cave in this really warm and humid sort of environment like an incubator. And that means mum can go out and forage because lactating bats just, oh, they're really, really mm. struggling to meet those energy requirements, mm. water requirements and calcium requirements. So without bat cave, southern bat wing bats would really, you know, we wouldn't have a South Australian population. I don't know what the state of the normal, pop, like the entire population would be because this is the largest colony that they form. So it's a very, very special place and there's really no other like it. There's a lot of caves in the area, but there's only one cave that the southern bentwing bats will use to give birth in. So yeah. it's fascinating. It? Like a, like a maternity cave. A maternity yeah. cave. Yeah. As, so as you, I kept thinking as you were talking, it's like, what? It's like a, a maternity cave. It's like a maternity ward. It's like... Instead of having them all in their little humidity cribs, it's just the whole cave's warm, the whole cave's humid and, you know... The pups are just on the ceiling, all in their little crèche, which is what we call it, and then they grow up to and adult mums size. mums just stick the babies on the cell. Yep. Imagine humans doing that. <laughs> like the mums just nice. stick the like oh, I'm, I'm going, going shopping. out to eat by <laughs> going out to going out for lunch with the girls. Yeah, I would just <laughs> put the kids <laughs> on the in find the cave. Their, their baby yeah. in a crowd of hundreds. Yeah, and mum proceeds to go out and eat eighty percent of her body weight in food and <laughs> come back to her pup. So, cool. Yeah. So um. Georgia, you, you're constantly engaging with the public mm-hmm. um, and, and that's part of what I do. And, and, and the other two, they, they do a bit of that, don't you? I mean, this, this, is, this is public engagement and you do talks and things and, and stuff. Um, what, what is it about engaging this stuff with the public for you that's, that's the buzz? It's that people can walk away from the caves knowing that there is so much more uh, going on here than just what meets the eye. Um, it's not just a cave. It's, you know, it's got so much going on down here. Uh, it really is alive. It's its own special little ecosystem with all different types of, you know, bacteria, microorganisms, uh, bats rely on the caves, owls rely on the caves. Um, and it's bringing this topic we call cave conservation and driving it home. Um, so getting them to care about is what, what's happening here at Narracourt, uh, the animals that rely on the caves, why we need to protect and preserve the caves. Because if we didn't have what we have here today with you know a national park and more particularly a world heritage site, um, who knows what could have happened. Um, yeah, and just, just simple things like, like the, the, the balance... I'm always reticent in, to use balance in nature because it's not so much a balance, it's usually a struggle. Yeah, it's always <laughs> and a it's trade a perception, off. perception of balance because we have a very tiny understanding of time. But the, the fragility of the maternity cave. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Narita, coming to your, your research, mm. the, these things as death traps, mm-hmm. um, what do we know about um, the, the degree to which things fell in mm-hmm. and died or died and were brought in. Mm. Yeah. So the, the, the death trap sort of caves, we call those pitfall trap caves, they're definitely the most common type of cave that has large animal bones at Narracourt. So we think that was happening a lot more than the, the other possibility of animals dying elsewhere and then being carried in because mm. uh, it's probably pretty hard to to to, to 
kill a diprotodon mm. and then drag it in here. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, a diprotodon is probably going to, whoa, hey, fall yeah. down a hole. But not not very often no. at Maricourt because no. a lot of the holes would have been too small mm-hmm. for yeah. them to fall down. Uh, so diprotodon is not really actually all that common um, at places like Maricourt. Yeah. But there, but there are thylacoleo bones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in they're... the cave. So what, what, what does that tell us about them? Because they were as, as, a, as an apex predator that we find mm. lots of thylacoleo bones. That they were awesome. <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So usually... They ate bats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, okay. somebody's blocking her ears. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, what, what is yeah, that? Yeah, we're in like a, a normal sort of community um, that we see today. Apex predators are usually present in quite small numbers relative to their prey. Uh, some caves at Narracourt do seem to have particularly high numbers of thylacoleo in sort of numbers that we might not expect from a natural population. Mm. And that happens in, you know, other caves as well. So it could tell us something about their um, vulnerability to pitfall entrapment. Uh, there's quite a few instances of, or we think of, carnivores being attracted to the entrances of these pitfall trap caves by the smell of trapped or decaying animals so it's like a little supermarket really yeah well they they we think what happened they might have been attracted to these cave entrances oh something smells good in there and then fall in and then end up becoming um, victims themselves Mm. right so it's not a thing that they came down here like they didn't bring prey with they, them they or might they, they have might have they might have so it all just depends on the the morphology of the cave so that's yeah. a, a big uh indicator of what the accumulation mode would have mm-hmm. been so when you say the morphology of the cave what? so that's like the the shape of yep. the cave that encompasses the size the um possible entrances how as easy well. it was to access yep. yeah from both outside and from inside the cave because if I was a thylacoleo and there was an opportunity to have a nice little house mm-hmm. like we're in at the moment, mm-hmm. this really cool alcove. So, by the way, uh, listener, we actually had to crawl on our bellies and I hit my head, but I got a special <laughs> hat, a special helmet on. So we crawled on our bellies to get into where we are. Because... Um, Surely it's not just bats that live in caves. Oh, no, it's not just bats. <laughs> I mean, there's an entire ecosystem that thrives yep. in bats' poo. Mm-hmm. Like, there yeah, is... There's so much I think particularly here. for insects and arthropods, even at Narracourt, uh, the southern beltwing bats at Narracourt have different ectoparasites to the other populations as well. An so, ectoparasite. Yeah, so they have uh, little parasitic flies that live in their fur. Um, and they sort of just drink their blood like a flea or anything for a dog. But the ones at Narracourt are different to other southern beltwing bat populations. And, you know, presumably in the 60s or 70s, there were papers on this um, endemic to bat cave. Yeah. And then there's the Narracourt ca- uh, cave cricket that I've wow, met someone who's very passionate about <laughs> yeah. that before. And, you know, there's species cave of cave crickets that are endemic to here. There's yeah, cave spiders. There's, yeah, really like insects are just understudied in terms of yeah, animals worldwide. Are. And that applies not as much to caves, but there are really just entire ecosystems that we don't think about when we walk around or just sit in a cave. That are speciated to us specifically here at Narracle that you won't find anywhere else, which yeah. is really special yeah, and which amazing. Is one of the really cool things mm-hmm. about caves because they are kind of, they're enclosed. Mm. And there are, there are places in Europe where there are species of like fish and amphibian things and frog and stuff that's like nowhere, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I want to, 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 if, if, because all of us 
all of us, the caves, uh, we started talking about this at the beginning, all of us, our, our careers, the work that we do is is intrinsically linked mm-hmm. to somewhere like the Narrow Caves. Professor Flint was born partly during, well, developed during Paleontology Week, which started here in Narrowcourt with the South mm-hmm. Australian Museum. Um, and we, we did a show where we had, like, hundreds of kids from all of the schools on the lawns around here. And and, and so if, if you were to, each of you, um, starting with you, George, if you were to give a young high school or a primary school kid some advice mm. in terms of career involving the caves or career involving science because you while you're not doing the research like these two do the science is a key part of your mm-hmm. career what what advice might you give to or even to a younger you um do whatever makes you happy life's too short to worry about anything you know super crazy um when i was in high school i was a big Um, you know, studier. I was set on going to university. That was the pathway um, that I was going to take. Um, And then I just discovered it just wasn't for me. Um, It was becoming really quite stressful for me. There wasn't much of a work-life balance. It was study, study, study. Um, And if you don't study, you're not going to get, you know, the scores you need to get into your degree. And I did apply for a paleontology degree and I did get accepted, but I really sat back and I thought, I want to do whatever makes me happy and studying just wasn't doing it for me. And I couldn't see myself um, going to university and completing a degree. So I thought, what's the next best thing? Um, And that is work. I love to work. I love to engage with people. And I thought Narracourt Caves would be the place to be. I've grown up with it. So I applied and I'm lucky enough to to have got the position and get to wake up every day and go to an amazing job. <laughs> it's a, it yeah. suits you well. Yeah. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool place to, pretty to do amazing. stuff in. And just to like to be sitting here underground recording this with, mm. with the mm. four of us here is is pretty cool. Okay, Narita, what advice would you give to younger Narita? Oh, I think really similar to what Georgia said, just do what you love and don't be influenced by what other people are doing Mm -hmm. and what other people think is you know appropriate or successful or you know cool um yeah just just do what makes you happy and and you'll end up making a career out of that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's um it's people ask i sometimes speak at schools and and the teachers are, so what was the career path, Michael? It's like, yeah, there wasn't one. <laughs> it was just a series of choices in, in a moment of yeah. going, oh, that's cool, I'll do that. Exactly. Oh, that's, it's, it's mm. in, in, which, which, you know, very much follows what you're, you're saying, Georgia, yeah. about do the thing you love. And sometimes it can be really hard. And sometimes, like, you know, as a writer-performer, mm-hmm. hello, yeah. COVID, like, you, you, you have moments where you're sitting on the sofa going, right, I've got a mortgage and no income for the foreseeable future. I have no idea how that's going to pan out. Mm. So there are absolute challenges, but I've been able to find a way. Um, Nicola? Well, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing as what you guys have said. (laughs) I think just following, you know, follow the things that make you excited and anything Mm. that makes you feel very strong, you know, that you feel really passionate about that makes you excited, you know, 
track that down even if it's not necessarily a long-term plan because everyone's sort of long-term plan is just to be happy and do something they think is important so yeah there's there's it's 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 i guess it's that thing of of and we don't know why it is that a thing might individually resonate with us yeah it just does exactly it that's just what, does. i think that's what makes us who we are as well because that's everyone's got different interests people in the same environment have completely different interests like it's what makes us all people and all interesting, I think. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's that I often use the example of people like like Michael Jordan. So Michael Jordan didn't become the greatest basketballer of all time because he thought, Oh, what can I do to make lots of money? He became the greatest basketballer of all time because he just loved playing basketball. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And he loved playing basketball so much that he would train and play and do all the things. And I guess the four of us have done similar things, yeah? Mm, definitely. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. yeah? Um, all right. We are rapidly getting towards the end of time. Um, thank you. To, <laughs> I think my legs, uh, my legs haven't moved in this time and they are completely numb. My feet too. Your feet are numb. Um if you could tell people one more thing about the Ks, and the theme might start any moment now, but um, what's your favourite thing to tell people about the Ks? Um, uh, people often become disconnected from the animals that lived thousands of years ago. They simply see them as bones now. But it's something really important to mention is that they were animals, they were alive. And I always love to tell people um, that they would have been alive down in the caves for you know, however many days it took them to pass away. To die. <laughs> That's charming. But it is, because when we look at a fossil, the fossil no, but it was an individual. Yeah, yeah. It was an individual. They had feelings. Feelings, they ancestors, had clearly no descendants. Yeah. Mum and dad. Well, had, and the brothers. Yeah. Well, that's the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much to all of you for joining us on Paleo Jam. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having yeah, us. it was great. It's time to spread some paleo jam.